program, we're going to talk about a number of very important things. First of all, this whole topic of disclosure, and disclosure, of course, meaning when is the government, the U.S. government and foreign governments, going to finally announce the truth of what kind of information they have regarding UFOs, ETs, and things of that nature? Do they have secrets that they're hiding? What about this whole thing of alien abductions? Um, in my book that will be out very soon, uh, The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World, I talk about this because this area that I just brought up is an enormous, an enormous spiritual and mental battlefield. Just by coincidence, and I don't believe really in coincidences because the Holy Spirit has been guiding my research for ever, forever. In fact, I was doing an interview with uh, Troy Anderson, uh, who I wrote uh, The Babylon Code and Trumpocalypse with. And <clears throat> he was asked, uh, oh, by the way, we're speaking at a uh, conference called the Disclosure Conference coming up. You can get all the information on it at Paul McGuire. Dot US and L.A. Marzulli will be speaking there and a number of other speakers, myself, Troy. Uh, you can get a list of all the speakers, the times and everything. It'll be held in uh, basically the Costa Mesa area of Southern California. And uh, uh, it's uh, sponsored and produced by the Here the Watchmen conference people who I've known for <clears throat> quite a few years now. And uh, uh, they're, they're a blessing to me and a blessing to, to many other people. Anyway, I wanted to mention that. But that's not really why I chose the topic disclosure for today. I chose it because um, my wife and I watched two back-to-back -back History Channel specials. And sometimes, I mean, we, actually, I think it's the first time that we've watched one in a long time. The History Channel did a couple of specials with me, two specials with me, and a number of other people. One was called The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and I think the other one was called Seven Signs of the Apocalypse, which I believe are still on the History Channel and the archives. Anyway, so we just happened to watch this. Uh, well, what caused us to watch it is the, the person who's like the, uh, the center of the show on the History Channel is a guest on uh, a particular Fox TV news program. <clears throat> and so that intrigued our interest, and we just happened to, to discover that uh, this guy and this topic was being dealt with on, on the uh, History Channel. So we watched the story, and the story's been all over the news, and every kind of news media. I think my, my wife got like all kinds of Facebook posts, news blasts, <clears throat> and whatever on um, the, it was either the Navy, the, either the Navy or the Air Force. I can't remember which <clears throat> had to do with uh, planes, but it could have been the Navy or the Air Force. And uh, they uh, announced something that they normally don't announce publicly. And the announcement that they made was the eyewitness accounts, and then they showed some video footage from an infrared camera of this. Uh, black, <clears throat> strange, uh, kind of rectangular object that was hovering near uh, two U.S. fighter jets. And uh, uh, normally, 
the, the U.S. fighter jet pilots don't talk about this publicly. Like they keep it quiet. But for whatever reason, it became public, and um, the History Channel did this thing on it. And what was interesting is uh, the people claimed to, the pilots all claimed to have seen it. And there were a, a number of different pilots. There were two fighter jets up there at the same time, and then there was like two more that went up there. And they had this infrared camera footage. And I think he estimated, one of the pilots or experts from the Department of Defense estimated that whatever this was, <clears throat> it was flying from like zero to, to 37, uh, 3,700 miles per hour. So it was like faster than any you know, jet that, that we know of in human technology. So, you know, that doesn't prove anything to me. It's just interesting to watch. Um, so this uh, program had to deal with uh, uh, this group. That's, there's a number of groups, as you, many of you probably know, a number of groups, including one is called the Disclosure Project. But there's a number of groups, and there has been a number of groups for decades, trying to uh, coerce, force, pressure uh, the U.S. government, whatever you want to call it, to come forward and make public um, all these uh, UFO files that supposedly contain all kinds of information about the interaction of uh, the military, governments, etc., in America and around the world with uh, UFOs, aliens, and things of that nature. So people want the government to come forward and, and tell the public what they have. So um, that was interesting, but I mean, it, to me, doesn't prove anything conclusively. So I watched this program for about an hour, hour and a half. And then ironically, what comes on before it and after it is one of these ancient alien uh, programs. The thesis being that uh, um, mankind originated on planet Earth because we were visited by some kind of alien civilization using UFOs, you know, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of years ago or something. And then they show all the footage, the topographical footage, et cetera, of the monuments, the pyramids, the, the, the strange handwriting that appears to be written like hieroglyphics or, you know, uh, uh, South American uh, uh, Groups like the Aztecs, the Incas, etc., and how these are like all over the world, and and they're I guess because of drones, they're able to photograph more of them. So it was an interesting thing to watch, and I'm dealing with it in my book. I'm dealing it with uh, from a different, a little bit different perspective. And at, at my talks on the conference, I'm going to deal with it from a different perspective. Um, and in my book, I deal with it from a different perspective. Uh, there's no question to me. In fact, I was doing a lot of research on that just uh, a couple of minutes ago. Um, there's no question to me that w we have been visited by beings. The question is, what kind of beings? And I would say that they're not from another planet. We're we have been, we are being visited by beings from another dimension. And the Bible says that. Uh, interdimensional beings versus extra-dimensional beings. Interdimensional, of course, being they're coming from another dimension or the spiritual world or the invisible realm or whatever. And the Bible has a, a number of accounts. It's 
significant accounts of fallen angels that descended to uh, Mount Hermon. Um, And that account is written about in Genesis 6. And uh, some people uh, don't believe in this uh, idea. It's not an idea, actually. It's, I believe, a truthful account and an accurate interpretation of what the Scripture says. Uh, And I'm just, you know, talking casually to you now, but I could do an intensive, detailed presentation with substantial documentation from Scripture that I don't believe any other position uh, other than the one that fallen angels uh, impregnated human women in Genesis 6 and produced the the race of the uh, the Rephaim and then the Nephilim, so on and so forth. I really believe it's an irrefutable theological argument. And it's, it's always an irony to me to hear people write or speak, usually with a superficial knowledge of the subject, who attempt to dismiss it with things like the Sethite view and other, we call those theories, theological theories. Because you see, it's not just Genesis 6 that opens the door to the account of fallen angels mating with human women. It's all over the Bible. And you'd have to be blind, deaf, and dumb to, to miss it. Um, I'm going to hold back from a sarcastic remark <laughs> based on that. But the thing is this. The, in Genesis 6, it talks about the sons of God um, looking upon human women with desire. And then they, it says they married them in some ver- uh, versions. And then in other versions, it says you know they impregnated them. Whatever the case, they impregnated them. And they produced a hybrid race uh, that combines fallen angel DNA with human female DNA. And this produces a hybrid race called the Rephium, and the descendants of the Rephium are known as the the Nephilim. And um, when you do the uh, translation of the, the wording for example, uh, the sons of God, uh, that comes from the Hebrew word, the Benai Elohim, which means it refers to angels or fallen angels. That's specifically what the Benai Elohim references. Okay, it's angels or fallen angels. Well, in this particular case, it can't be angels because angels of God would never disobey God and the laws of God and mate with human women. So it's obviously a no-brainer. It has to be fallen angels because they're in rebellion from God, and they would absolutely, inspired by Satan, trying to destroy the DNA of mankind in an effort to destroy the, the DNA of Christ and our, our hope of salvation in Jesus Christ, that Satan would definitely inspire the uh, fallen angels to create a hybrid race, because a hybrid race of beings um, that consist of fallen angel DNA and human female DNA, when they combine, and they're known as the giants of old, the men of renown, the, 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 the mighty men of valor, there's many, many terms in the Old Testament alone that is referring to giants. In the earth. Now, the giants are the descendants of the fallen angels who have mated with human women. One of the characteristics of these beings is that they are 
physically giants, and they can be enormous, but they're at, at, at the very least they're substantially larger than any <clears throat> man or woman on Earth. They're the giants of old, and that's because their DNA is different. But God has only offered salvation to um, human beings. God is very specific about that. You know, God is incredibly, and I don't want this to sound uh, insulting to God. I'm actually, I'm trying to praise him, but I'm going to say it this way, and don't misunderstand me. It's, it's not even, a, it's not meant at all to be insulting about God. It's an, it's an understatement. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm making an understatement. God is obviously beyond genius. He's omniscient. He knows everything. But God is, you know, men are proud. It's part of the fall of mankind. The sin that is in the heart and mind of every person alive is pride. And um, that's part of the fall. And in, in man's pride, man always attempts to dismiss the existence of God or uh, undermines God or something else ridiculous. God is, is omniscient. His word is the inspired and errant word of God. And you know, this dismissal of the word of God by our culture, our society, our educational system is psychopathic because it's so obvious that if anybody had even a minimal amount of intellectual integrity and they were reading the word of God, like the book of Genesis, for example. It's so obvious that a human being couldn't have written this. And it goes into such detail about subjects that were completely unknown to the human race at the time it was written. So in the book of Genesis, we read this. It's Genesis chapter 1, and it is, um, I'm going to read a couple of verses. Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to start with um, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, our being the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Then God said, let us make man in our own image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, here we see a number of things, but the first thing we see is that God created mankind in his own image. And by mankind, that means both men and women, male and female. So every human being born of human DNA exclusively <clears throat> is created in the image of God, both male and female. So we have the DNA of God in us, even though we're fallen. Now, here's, here's the thing. Salvation is only offered to men and women, and men and women that are 100% genetically men and women, okay? 
only salvation is only offered to the human race. The human race is above the angels. There's God at the highest. He's the highest being, the supreme being of the universe, and under God there's man. The angels are below God. Now, um, so only a human being can be saved. When it says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believeth in him should but should not perish, but have everlasting life. It says, For God so loved the world. But he wasn't talking in that passage about the fish and the monkeys and stuff. Salvation is only available to human beings, men and women. Therefore, when Satan and the fallen angels who were together in rebellion against God, one third of the angels fell there in rebellion against God. Satan and the fallen angels are rebelling against God. And in part of that rebellion, um, 200 fallen angels descend upon Mount Hermon near Israel. And these 200 fallen angels who descended upon Mount Hermon, Mount Hermon is a portal, by the way. It's a stargate. It's a, it's a doorway. It's a gateway into another dimension, the spiritual dimension, or the spiritual world, just like the Tower of Babel was a stargate, a portal, uh, an interdimensional gateway. So, when, this, when the 200 fallen angels descend upon Mount Hermon, they looked upon human women with desire, they mated with the human women, they impregnated the human women, and a hybrid race uh, proceeded from the physical relationship between the fallen angels and the human women. But, but the hybrid race that they produced was not, they're not human. They're a mixture of fallen angel DNA and human women DNA. That means they're non-human. They may look human in many respects, but they're non-human genetically. On top of that, you have to understand that the angels that are mating with the human women are, are, are on the side of Satan in the spiritual war. So they're satanic. They're in complete rebellion from God. And as such, they've been judged by God, and they're going to get judged even further. And they're going to spend all eternity with Satan in the lake of fire, the, the cosmic prison. And they're fallen angels, so they're completely corrupted beings. They cannot receive redemption. A fallen angel and Satan cannot repent of their sins. They're damned forever. So, it's impossible for them to get saved. And therefore, when you have human women who mate with fallen angels and it produces the hybrid race of Rephaim, and then uh, if you have offspring after that, it can be the Nephilim, etc. Uh, what you have is a soulless being. Now, this is the key thing to focus in on. The being that is a Rephaim or Nephilim is soulless. Why is it soulless? Because only a man or a woman created in the image of God can have a soul. Fallen angels do not have souls. Angels do not have souls. Only human men and women have souls. So when we talk about getting souls saved, we're talking about people, but the very heart of a person is his or her soul. And only men and women have souls. 
So only men and women can be saved and have their soul saved. And when Christ came, let's remember, God is a super genius, and that's it's such an understatement. I don't mean it to be insulting. God's omniscient. He's all-knowing. So in God's plan of salvation and redemption, think about this. Somebody has to pay the price for our sins. Somebody has to die for our sins because the penalty for sin in God's legal courtrooms is death. God loves us, and he he has to balance his righteousness and his justice with his love for us. The only way God can love us without violating his requirements to be just and righteous is to have somebody pay the penalty for our sins. But that somebody has to be a being without sin. So God sends himself because God is a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God sends himself, the Son, Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. He sends Jesus Christ to be born of a virgin. And that was Mary, of course. So the nature of uh, Jesus is that Jesus is supernatural, not Jesus, uh, the, the Virgin Mary is supernaturally impregnated by God the Father. <clears throat> we don't understand the mechanics of it, okay? It, it was not a physical impregnation of any sort. It was a supernatural impregnation. And so the divinity, the holiness of God, God is without sin. Uh, is the seed that impregnates the human and the human DNA, Mary. So, in that divine conception, where God the Father supernaturally impregnates Mary, <clears throat> Jesus is born by divine plan. And Jesus is without sin, but he's tempted in, in every manner, like we are. So, so He's sinless, because you see, you have to have a a sinless offering to meet the demands of God's holiness. Somebody has to pay the price for all of our sins since the beginning of time. That person who pays the price has to be sinless. Otherwise, the sacrifice is no good. And there's there's only one person sinless, that's God. So God sends himself as Jesus Christ to die for all of our sins. So there's a divine union there. Think about it. The perfect holiness, the divinity of the supreme being, God, God Almighty, supernaturally impregnates the Virgin Mary, producing Jesus. Now, when the fallen angels, who are angels, and they are certainly not sinless, they're sin itself, the fallen, the fallen angels impregnate human women. You have an impregnation that involves a totally corrupted being that cannot be saved, a fallen angel. Fallen angel is in union with Satan. A satanic being, a fallen angel, impregnates the human women, and <clears throat> the offspring is a soulless being. That the offspring of the of the fallen angels and human women have no soul because they're not real human beings. 
In contrast, <clears throat> when God the Father supernaturally impregnated the Virgin Mary and gave birth to Jesus, you had a both supernatural <clears throat> and human being born. And that was by design. Christ came to die to take away the penalty of our sins so we could live forever if we put our faith in him. And, but Christ, who was Christ? Christ was both human, with human DNA, and, and Christ was part divine from God the Father. So he's a sinless sacrifice. But notice that his genetic composition is both divine from God the Father and human. So it's obvious that God is dying for human beings only. Otherwise, God wouldn't have sent Jesus Christ. He could have sent you know, some, 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 some other kind of preacher or something. So, because fallen angel human women, when they mate, they produce a soul as being called an Ephraim, Rephaim, etc., etc., and their souls cannot be saved. Therefore, these beings are soulless. Now, a being that is soulless is, is worse than a Frankenstein. It is evil beyond evil because it has no capacity whatsoever to have a conscience. There is nothing of God in it. Uh, the Nephilim and Rephaim are soulless, godless beings. So, because they're godless beings and they're soulless beings, by their very nature, the Rephaim and the Nephilim, by their very nature, they are completely given over to Lucifer and are satanic by nature. You understand? They cannot do good. They can only do evil. They are completely one with Satan or Lucifer. They don't, they're not even human. They may look human, <clears throat> but they're not human. And that's why they're so de- evil and so dangerous. In fact, demons themselves, the fallen angels, and the Rephaim and the Nephilim, so on and so forth, these beings delight in evil. With every molecule in their body and being, they delight in evil 24-7. They can never get enough evil. <laughs> if you want to ask the question, why is there so much hideous, abominable evil in the world continually? Like, I don't want to do a whole list because it, like, it's, it's, it's unspeakable. What, what, what is happening in our world right now is so offensive that, it's, that the evil is unspeakable. I said this to my wife. You know, I research a lot of stuff. I know a lot of stuff that's going on. But I, I mean, I, I can't even speak it sometimes anymore. I mean, I have to to communicate it, but I, I don't. I, I try to. As time goes on, I can, I can no longer even vocalize it. I try not to even write it, but, but I, it puts me in a quandary because I'm trying to communicate. But the, the, the stuff with one of the signatures, I learned this a long time ago, one of the signatures of Satanism and worshiping Satan and demons and fallen angels, one of the signatures when, when people are involved in that is Pedophilia, which obviously involves the abomination of having sex with a child, and then perversion that goes with it, and then torture and murder on top of it. Now that's sick. I can't. I can't, I almost could vomit even just saying that. I can't. I can't even go any further. 
because it's disgusting to me. So, <clears throat> why do people and <clears throat> evil spirits and demons and say, why do they delight in this? Because they're given over to Satan and evil and they're soulless, or if they weren't originally soulless, when you keep doing evil by your will and you keep denying your conscience and, and God and you do depraved and horrible things, there's a point. When you first start out, you're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you feel guilt. But there's a point, depending upon how fast you sin in these abominable ways, where there's a point where God will give you over to a reprobate mind. That means God gives you totally over to your sin, and you've entered a new state of consciousness, a reprobate mind, where it's not possible for you to be saved anymore. Because you're given over, you've become so defiled and corrupted that you, you will, your, your mind and heart will never repent. You're beyond redemption. This is a myth that people say, oh, well, no one's beyond redemption. No, no one's beyond redemption that hasn't been given over to a reprobate mind. And you and I, as human beings, can't ever look at anybody, no matter how evil they are. We can't look at them, and we can't place that judgment, because only God knows, you see. I mean, we can talk about some of the monsters of human history, but you and I don't know whether they could be saved or not. Only God knows that. Only God knows which human beings have been given over to a reprobate mind. In other words, they're so corrupted, they've given themselves so over to, to, to spiritual corruption that they can't come back. They're beyond salvation. You say, well, how, why is that possible? Anybody can be saved. Anybody can be saved who chooses to be saved who places faith in Christ. But God says that some people, he gives over to a reprobate mind. They, they, they can't ever repent because they don't, will not repent. They're so corrupted. We don't know who they are, but they're out there. And those people that are tr truly not human, they're Rephaim or Nephilim, they can't be saved because they're soulless. So this, this is evil beyond all evil. And <clears throat> it's the opposite of God creating us, mankind, in his image. Because when fallen angels mate with human women, they're not created. They, they can no longer be created in the image of God. Because they are soulless. They're not human beings. Only human beings can be created in the image of God. So, what's happening in our world, uh, a significant amount of it has to do with the invasion of the fallen angels on Mount Hermon, where 200 fallen angels descended upon Mount Hermon, mated with human women. They gave mankind science, technology, advanced mathematics, herbal treatments, and all kinds of other things, all kinds of advanced knowledge of different kinds. So these beings, these fallen angels, can be very intelligent. And they, they have, in the past, given mankind technology and science. So when we talk about UFOs and aliens, are we really talking about beings that come from outer space or different planets? Or are we talking about beings that come from another dimension, the spiritual world or the invisible realm? 
and therefore they would be interdimensional beings. In other words, what what people are saying are aliens are in fact fallen angels. And even, I mean, a significant number of scientists have said this, like Jacques Ellul, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. He was in uh, the movie uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He played himself, a scientist. But he made the comment, he was a real scientist that dealt with UFOs, and he made the uh, comment in his writings that it was his opinion that the, the aliens in the UFOs that were visiting planet Earth were not coming from outer space. They weren't extra-dimensional beings, ETs. They were interdimensional beings. Now, he didn't say they were fallen angels, because he was a secular scientist. He simply said they were interdimensional beings. They were like spirit beings. So that is a scientific judgment on his part, which very closely parallels the biblical account. So there are a number of possibilities of what a disclosure can mean. And by the way, for those of you who have friends who fit into the, no, I'm not going to say it, but those of you who have friends that, uh, you know, don't read their Bibles or think they know their Bible and scoff at these things, the Bible itself gives us an enormous amount of information on these type of subjects. You know, there's technology all over the Bible. Tower of Babel in ancient Babylon was a stargate. That's why it comes from the word gate of the gods or gate of God, but more commonly gate of the gods. What gate? It wasn't talking about some stupid wooden gate or a white picket fence gate. It was talking about an interdimensional gate. The gods were fallen angels. They were demons. The Tower of Babel was a worship tower and a technological tower, the equivalent, really, of what CERN is doing today. The Tower of Babel was designed for the purpose of allowing interdimensional beings or fallen angels or demons to come in from the spiritual world into the physical earth. And people who don't know that and are ignorant of of, of things like that, they, they lose the ability to have an intelligent conversation to people in the contemporary world. Now, you've got to know what you're talking about. They're going to think you're completely wacko. But I want to read you something from the book of Jude, which obviously is a book in the Bible. And I want to read to you what it says. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Okay, this is the book of Jude, obviously chapter 1. And it says... But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. 
but these speak evil of whatever they do not know. Now, um, then in verse 14, it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. So what's this all about? Um, what it's about is it's what it's saying here in verse 14, it's referring to the book of Enoch. So it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also. So what is that referring to? It's, it's talking about the, the book of Enoch, an extra book of the Bible. Normally, we would not uh, give uh, an extra book of the Bible any consideration because it's an extra book of the Bible. However, if the book of Jude, which it does, is referencing a particular subject matter in the book of Enoch, then obviously the Word of God in the book of Jude is giving us a license not to not to start uh, uh, accepting all of the extra books of the Bible, but it's giving us license to examine the topic in the book of Enoch regarding the fallen angels. Okay, so the book of Jude gives us permission to look at the book of Enoch. We're just not looking at the book of Enoch, you know, because we're on some some crazy mission or something. And in the book of Jude itself, um, by the way, the book of Enoch tells the account of the 200 fallen angels who descend upon Mount Hermon, uh, impregnated human women, and gave mankind science, technology, and so on and so forth. That's in the book of Enoch. It's a more expanded account of the fallen angels and what they did when they descended on Mount Hermon. So in the book of Jude, Going back to the book of Jude, um, starting again at verse 5, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Well, what is that talking about? It's talking about a number of things. It's talking about God's judgment in Sodom and Gomorrah, but more specifically, it's talking about the angels who did not keep their proper domain. It's talking about angels that left their own abode. Those are the fallen angels. The fallen angels left their proper abode, left their domain. The fallen angels came to the earth on Mount Hermon initially. And not only that, these fallen angels who left their own abode uh, gave themselves over to sexual immorality and went after strange flesh. What what does that mean? Well, it means that the fallen angels uh, left their abode of where they were supposed to be, and they went after strange flesh. Human women committed sexual immorality, which is 
fallen angels having sexual relationships with human women. And so they're under a curse for this, a special curse. Remember, by the way, uh, a lot of people read <clears throat> the account of Sodom and Gomorrah and ignore some of the, the bigger truths in the account of what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that the, that the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, who were, who were pounding on the door of Lot's house, they didn't just come there, and this is not appropriate for young children. <clears throat> I'm going to talk biblically, but it's not appropriate for young children. Um, the, the, the men of Sodom who banged on the door of Lot's house were demanding to have uh, sexual relations with the, the male visitors who visited Lot. Now, what a lot of people ignore is, is a glaring reality. These male visitors who visited Lot were angels. And I want to repeat that. The two men that were visiting Lot's house <clears throat> that the men of Sodom wanted to rape were angels. That's, that's extremely important to the account. The other thing that's extremely important to the account is that when you read the passage of what happened in Sodom regarding these two men who were angels, it says all the people of Sodom, and that meant the men and the women, gathered around Lot's house to watch. Now, again, this is not for young children. It's obvious what this is talking about. So you have to read the account properly, not with a filter on. You can't make the argument that this was <clears throat> all about some homosexual activity. You can't make that argument. You have to, you have to incorporate all the material in the verse, the verses. Because, first of all, you have the vicarious participation of all the men and women of Sodom were gathering around to watch, like, like, like a football game, except it was they gathered around to watch a sexual perversion. And that sexual perversion was the rape of two angels. So you see, you have this, this um, uh, teaching that's deficient because it doesn't acknowledge the, rea the, rea the, the, the teaching that is deficient tries to depict the situation as strictly, you know, male and male and males watching. That's not what happened. It was all the people, men and women, gathered to watch. So they were in on it, okay? Watching an actual, again, this is not for young children, actual, watching the rape of angels is a perversion in and of itself, okay? And then the other thing is, it's clear that the desire of the, these men is, I think it's suspicious to conclude that this was strictly or exclusively a homosexual activity. Because the primary uh, issue here is that they were angels. And the people of Sodom and Gomorrah had to have been familiar with angels having sex with human beings. They had to have had. And the, probably the majority of the sex, again, not for young children, 
the majority of the sex consisted of fallen angels mating with human women and producing the Rephim and the Nephilim. Okay, they were familiar with that. Why do you say, how, how, how can you say that? Because it was all over the ancient world, <clears throat> before and after the flood, by the way. So, they were familiar with this. They, as a culture, were not strangers to this fallen angel uh, sexual relationships with human women, and obviously, they were not, this was not like uh, something that was out of their sphere of reference. Remember, when God told Joshua and Caleb to conquer the land of Canaan, which was the promised land, Canaan was a massive amount of territory, and there was a massive number of uh, inhabitants in Canaan. But what was the common denominator of the inhabitants of Canaan? I don't know what percentage of the Canaanites, but it was a very large percentage. They consisted of men and women that were the offspring of the fallen angels who mated with human women and gave birth to a hybrid race of the Rephraim and the Nephilim and Gibberim and, and the giants of old. So easily a majority of the inhabitants, both male and female, of Canaan would have been um, born as a result of angel, human, being DNA, and therefore we're soulless. And you say, how can you say that? Well, let's look at some of the characteristics of all the tribes in ancient Canaan, like the uh, Hittites and all the Ites. There's like seven tribes like that, and all the other tribes. These were tribes that genetically, the Kazazites, Jebusites, on and on and on. These were tribes that consisted of fallen angel, human, women, DNA, and then they would reproduce, and the whole genetic line was corrupted. They were no longer human. They were human beings mixed with fallen angel DNA. And and this was one of the reasons why their worship was so perverse and evil, because the common characteristics of all the tribal worship of ancient Canaan was that they sacrificed their children alive on the altars of Baal, which represents Satan, or they worshipped Ashtaroth, which is a female form of Satan, by engaging in extreme sexual immorality, drug-taking, etc. So, you see, what they worshipped revealed what they were. They were soulless. And that's why God told Joshua and Caleb to conquer the land of Canaan. And remember the account with the spies that God sent spies into the land, and both Joshua and Caleb, as well as the cowardly spies, all came back saying there were giants in the land. The the land was packed with giants. They didn't mean just tall men. They meant supernaturally tall men. Okay? They meant the descendants of the fallen angels. That's what they meant. So this had spread throughout. ancient cultures, and it would have spread into Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities. And that's, and you would also know that by 
the ungodly worship they had. So the, the, the real story of the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah is more detailed, more multidimensional, and, and more complicated than what you hear, because the, the, an essential theme, if not the most important essential theme, was the intention by the men of Sodom to rape two angels. So you have in that account, uh, and everybody's horrified, including me, when you hear this story that, not story, it's the biblical account, that when, <clears throat> when the men are pounding on the door demanding that Lot give them the two strangers, that the men knew were angels, by the way. They knew that. That's why they wanted to rape them. And by the way, those angels deliberately chose to sleep out in the square, open square of the city at night. They did that as some kind of test to uh, Lot. And Lot was terrified, and he said he tried to cover up his fear, but he, he, he did everything he could to get them out from sleeping out of the public, on the public square at night and into his house with the door locked and shut because he knew that they were targets. And he knew how evil and wicked the city is. <clears throat> and, and he knew that they were angels. He also knew that they were angels. And so that's why he put him in the house. And that's why when the men were pounding on the door, something that's disgusting to all of us and something that's probably bothered all of us when we've read this passage is he, Lot offers his two virgin daughters to this crowd of lunatics, okay? And literally says to them, to these men who are set on raping the two angels, Lot says, you can do anything you want with my daughters. That's a horrific, <clears throat> disgusting statement. And, and so all of us are bothered and can't quite figure out, what is this guy Lot? He deserves to be fried from heaven. You know, it's like, this guy's like, sick. What kind of father would ever say that? No, no father, unless the father was like sick himself, would say that. You could do whatever you want to my daughters or daughter. That's like crazy sick stuff. So, <clears throat> why did he say that? Well, you have to understand the all-important detail, which is that these men, the reason they were so prized by the men of Sodom, why the men of Sodom wanted to rape them, is because angels were crying out loud. If you remove the, 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 the truth that, that this was about raping two angels, you can't figure out anything. So, I believe Lot was so terrified of God and God's judgment coming upon him for allowing God's angels to be raped. I think in Lot's distorted mind, because I don't think Lot knew God very well, um, in Lot's distorted mind, I think he was so afraid of God's vengeance and wrath upon him, personally, maybe his wife, but I think it was all about him. I think he was so terrified of what God may have done to him in terms of punishment for allowing God's angels to be raped, <clears throat> that in his terror and fear for himself, he offered his daughters up and told them, you can do anything you want with my daughters, which is hideous. But think about the character profile of who Lot is. This is a guy that's obviously totally selfish, and when push comes to shove, better his daughters should die than him. He's, this is all about Lot trying to save himself. He's kind of a disgusting guy. So, these are the important uh, 
features that we have to know about the truth. And this is what Jude is talking to. It's talking about these angels who left their... No, let's not get confused. There's two kinds of angels here. The, 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 the angels, the two men that came to get Lot and his wife and family out of Sodom and Gomorrah, were God's angels. They were holy and pure. The fallen angels are the ones that are impregnating human women and producing this corrupt race of Nephilim and Rephium. So, God is very serious about this, and that's why in verse 5, he talks about the angels who do not keep their proper domain. He's talking about fallen angels, but left their own abode. Again, talking about the falling and fallen angels. He has reserved in everlasting chains, he's talking about the falling, fallen angels, under darkness for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth examples suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So, fallen angels mating with human women produce a soulless human race, but it has physical characteristics. One of the physical characteristics is that they're giants, that the giants of old. And if you read the Bible carefully, I mean, uh, the giant that uh, King David <clears throat> slew with the stone, the slingshot. He was a Nephilim. And there's numerous uh, <clears throat> people in the Bible, historical figures in the Bible, that were the descendants or Nephilim themselves. <clears throat> so this is very important. So this, when we talk about disclosure, and I deal with this in my book, the greatest battle for the hearts and souls of mankind in the history of the world. This is what I'm coming to. If our government, or a collection of governments, the United Nations or whatever, seems like they turned up the volume a little bit in making some kind of announcement, I can tell you personally what I thought the intention of the History Channel uh, program on the uh, this uh, UFO thing was. I thought it was uh, psyops, very pure, very simple, and I can give you twenty-five reasons why. I don't want to get into it now. First of all, it was overwhelmingly juvenile, and second of all, there was nothing they came. I mean, what they showed you, you could have, you could have done with a computer made twenty years ago in fifteen minutes, in five, ten minutes. I mean, it was like a black object generated on a computer screen. Okay, that's hardly uh, a whoop-de-doo or whatever you want to call it. And we have the testimonies of the jet pilots, that's fine. But there's, there's a lot of, if you analyze the, the program, there's not a whole lot of content and substance there. And there's a whole lot of big question marks that raise conspicuous uh, questions. And I want to add something to that. In 1917, that was a long time ago, which is basically the year of the Bolshevik or Communist Revolution in Russia, the father of modern public education, John Dewey, and this is important for a number of reasons, why was the father of public education in America, why was he, John Dewey, why was he being trained by the communists 
in communist Russia during the time of the communist Russian revolution. What was he doing there for several years being trained in education? That's, that's really, really heavy stuff. What was he doing there? There's supposed to be a communist revolution going on. Well, there was a communist revolution going on. But who financed it? The super capitalists in America, Europe, Great Britain, Wall Street. They financed the Bolshevik communist revolution in 1917. The super capitalists, the globalist elite. Why did they do that? Again, my book gives you probably the simplest summary of what the real purpose of communism is, which I very rarely hear anybody explain. I explained it in the book, The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World, which, by the way, you can pre-order now, which means if you pre-order now at paulmcguire.us, you get your copy. Your copy will come to you before it is released to the general public. You get a financial discount on the book if you pre-order it now, and you get an autographed copy. And the book is, I consider it one of the most important books I've written. And because it contains a lot of truth that either has not been presented to you or has never been presented in the way that you're going to read it in this book. And so the mechanism of, of communism, you have to understand that communism is simply a, a, a mechanism by the wealthiest banking families in the world. It's a, it's a mechanism for the super capitalist, wealthiest banking families in the world to get super rich. Communism has nothing to do, socialism, communism, and Marxism has absolutely nothing to do with redistributing the wealth, <coughs> so this uh, fair wealth redistribution, free health care, free education, making everything equal, you know, creating a worker's paradise. Listen very carefully. Communism has absolutely nothing to do with all those things. That's what they promise to all the suckers. Who are the suckers? The suckers are the endless lines of people of all races, by the way, of all educational levels. In fact, the biggest suckers uh, that fall for communism, socialism, and Marxism <clears throat> often have the highest level college degrees. And, and the very founder of uh, <clears throat> communism, the man who knew all about it, he literally called all the people who followed communism, especially all the American idealists and movie stars and intellectuals, the very founder of communism called them useful idiots. Well, why did he call them useful idiots? And why did the master planner and architect of communism call all the people who believed in communism, Marxism, socialism, useful idiots? Why did he call them that? Because that's what they are. Now, this is according to the master leader of communism. He said all the starry-eyed idealists who believe in all this garbage, all the, this is what he's saying. I'm just translating it. All the fools, fools, and that's exactly what they are. All the fools, the idiots, the morons, the stooges, don't get offended. He called them useful idiots. I'm just giving you synonyms. All the useful idiots who believe in communism, socialism, and Marxism, that it's actually going to deliver on its promises of social justice, fair wealth redistribution, health care for everybody, great education, great jobs, 
great uh, wages, freedoms, a worker's paradise, which 100% of the time, there has never been a communism, a communist, socialist, Marxist government that has ever, in the history of mankind, not once have the promises of a communist, Marxist, or socialist government ever come true. They have always produced hell on earth and a nightmare. That's why the founder of communism called the people who follow it, communism, socialism, Marxism, useful idiots. Because they're so, they're, they're idiots. They're idiots because they can't, this, and this is not from me, this is from the, one of the key founders and planners of communism. He called them idiots because that's what they are. They can't see the obvious right in front of them, which is communism, socialism, and Marxism produces always, 100% of the time, hell on earth. It doesn't deliver on any of its promises, and it makes things a million times worse for everybody. This is why the head of communism called all those people who, who buy into this lie. Idiots. Useful idiots. You know why he says useful idiots? Because he knows, see, communism, Marxism, socialism are all revolutions based on deception and mind control and brainwashing. And a communist leader like Lenin or Stalin, who openly said these people were useful idiots, they're useful. That's why, see, if they weren't useful, communists will just machine gun down everybody. They keep them alive because they're useful idiots. Why are they useful idiots? Because in order to keep up the, 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 the fake illusion of what the, the, the wonders of communism, you need all these sucker-punched Marxist college professors. You need all these authors and writers who believe in this complete—it's worse than a Ponzi scheme. You need all these media people and politicians. You need all of them, the useful idiots and the— organizers of communism and all the community organizers. You need what Stalin called the useful idiots there, because without the useful idiots, you couldn't have your communist revolution. If you had truly intelligent people or thinking people, a communist, socialist, Marxist revolution would never happen, because people would say, well, this obviously isn't going to work. Why would I do anything to to make it happen? So you've got to have the useful idiots, the people who are so stupid that they actually deny the obvious and believe in this total Santa Claus theory that doesn't work and never has worked. In fact, it creates the opposite. 240 million people were killed, tortured, slaughtered, starved to death by the communist revolutions in the last 125 years. It's a killer. Nobody ever tries to sneak across the border into a communist nation. Never. All the people in socialist nations or communist nations are trying to sneak across our border. But nobody's trying to sneak in. How many people are trying to sneak into Mexico? The only people trying to sneak into Mexico is they're using it as a, a, a roadway to get into the U.S. Nobody's trying to sneak into uh, these nations that are people are, are trying to the U.S. in. Nobody's trying to get in there. Nobody's trying to get into communist nations like Venezuela and stuff. Nobody, how many people are sneaking into to communist China? None. How many people are sneaking into communist Russia? None. How many people are, are, are sneaking into communist North Korea? None. 
Oh, Cuba, the worker's paradise. Wow, you know, Fidel, yeah, Che Guevara. How many people are sneaking into Cuba? Absolutely none. Matter of fact, people are risking their lives swimming, being eaten by sharks, hanging on a piece of driftwood, anything they can, at risk of death to get the hell out of that hellhole. Excuse me for using the word hell, but that's what it is, and it needs to be said loud and clear. Instead, you have these socialist, communist, political candidates in the United States of America. They're, they terrify me. You know why they terrify me? Because they look demonically possessed. They feed like parasites off stirring up hatred among the masses. And they know. The top people in this communism, socialism stuff always know the truth. That's a scam. It doesn't work. So, the head of American education is being trained in a communist Marxist dictatorship in Russia. He's being trained by the communist, the communist Russians in how to set up a public ed, uh, educational system for America. Why would that be done? I thought we were anti-communist back then. So why, why is the head of the American educational system, the founder of the American educational, public educational system, what is he doing in communist Russia? He's being trained in the art of communist education. What is communist education? Communist education is always about propaganda, brainwashing, social engineering, and mind control. I'm going to repeat it. Communist education, Marxist education, socialist education, is never about actual real education. It's always about indoctrination, propaganda, mind control, brainwashing. So ask yourself the question, who would it be that is setting up the man, training the man who's going to be the founder of America's public educational system? Who would it be that would pay and organize for John Dewey, who's going to start American public education, who would it be that's financing him and making sure he's being trained in a communist dictatorship whose educational system is all about brainwashing, propaganda, social engineering, and mind control? Who would it be? Who would it be? It would be the people who really run America and the rest of the world, the globalist elite, the shadow that hide in the shadows. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's real. I can prove it. I've written 34 books. It's in, well, different books emphasize different things, but it's, it's all over my writings, my books, in detail. I can prove everything I said. It's not even, it's not even debatable. <clears throat> so, John Dewey, being paid for by the elites, to set up the American educational system based on the model of the communist Russian educational system, said these words in 1917, the same year as the communist revolution is exploding in Russia. John Dewey said, probably, I'm paraphrasing, he said, the fastest way to have a one-world government and to get all the nations on planet Earth to lay down their weapons and create a one-world government, and by that he went, he meant, by the way, a one-world communist government, because all the original writings always included the words a one-world socialist government or a one-world communist government. 
So John Dewey says the best way, the fastest way to bring about our goal of a one world government is if there was to be some kind of alien invasion from outer space, and then all the nations would lay down their arms and they would unify and create a, a one world government in order to fight off an alien invasion. He said that in 1917. What is interesting about that? What's interesting about that is that the globalist elite, the, the secret, invisible, occult elite, rule planet Earth, were thinking that far back about manufacturing an artificial alien invasion with UFOs as a pretense to uh, force all the nations to become one and, and arrange their endgame, which is a one-world socialist or a one-world communist government. They were thinking back about that in 1917. This is a long-term plan, but there's more to it. There's more to it. And this is where you need to be ahead of the game, not behind the game, because this is what is going to come inevitably. And what I'm about to describe to you, which I'll come back in a moment, what I'm about to describe to you will bring about the greatest revolutionary paradigm shift for mankind and for every person on planet Earth. It will be the greatest paradigm shift, the greatest change in consciousness, the greatest change in, that will rip up people's belief systems. It will be the greatest challenge, and it will be the greatest attack on biblical Christianity or God's word since the time of the Garden of Eden and Lucifer. This will be so powerful in its destructive impact and so revolutionary in, in how it changes the world. And it's on the horizon. And they've been planning it for a long, long time. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. Help us get this word out. And when, when I come back, you're going to understand why this is so important to get this information out and to get people thinking about it. Because if you think that the theory of evolution was a challenge not a challenge. The theory of evolution has done, has done more to destroy Christianity and the Christian faith than any other device ever used in, in the history of the human race. Because evolution was a Trojan horse that went into every school, every child's heart, and basically it said, what you're being taught by your Christian parents is wrong. What you're being taught by your church is wrong. The whole story of Adam and Eve is a fairy tale. Uh, the Garden of Eden is a fairy tale. The Bible, from cover to cover, is scientifically not true. So you can throw basically what the theory of evolution, in, in, this is what it, it implied very explicitly. Throw your Bibles away because the Bible is definitely not scientifically true. Therefore, the whole Bible has to be false. Science is what is true, and science has proved that we evolved randomly from nothing over 500 million years through a process called evolution. 
and therefore evolution is a scientific fact, and that means it's a scientific fact that the God of the Bible doesn't exist. It's a scientific fact that there was no creation. It's a scientific fact that there's no right or wrong moral. It's a scientific fact that marriage is completely unimportant, and on and on and on. The teaching of evolution was like dropping an atomic bomb on every school in America over and over again. Because it was a mind control propaganda operation. You teach evolution at the earliest ages. Ages By, by how? By taking them on the kids on a field trip to the zoo. Have you, have you ever done that? Many of you parents have. Well, you're going to get a long lecture on evolution at the zoo with the kids. You go to the, uh, any museum, big lectures. I was in a museum in New York a couple of months ago. And we went into the scientific section, and the whole thing was turned into a propaganda, audio-visual bonanza promoting evolution. The whole thing. It wasn't even what it used to be, which was an exhibit on science and history at the National Museum, at the, the New York uh, Museum of Natural History. The whole thing was turned into a propaganda thing for evolution. And the same with uh, aquariums. They give big lectures, propaganda lectures on and then movies teach about evolution. And then schools teach about evolution starting in kindergarten. And it doesn't take, the kid doesn't have to be a genius, but all kids figure out the same thing. Since evolution is scientifically true, and the Bible's not scientifically true, well, guess what? Science has proved that there is no God, there is no right or wrong, Christian marriage doesn't matter, and on and on and on. Evolution is dropping an atomic bomb on kids' minds and uh, churches and uh, schools, and the atom bomb called evolution annihilates Christianity. Why is that? Because evolution is true? No. Here's the irony. There is absolutely no scientific proof whatsoever to scientifically prove the theory of evolution. No proof whatsoever. That's why it's still called a theory. And they have 80 million fossil records, and they don't have one fossil record that proves evolution is true. In other words, their claim that one species evolves into a completely different species never, ever happened. And their claim that uh, life came from non-life never, ever happened. They have no proof. They would be better off with an alien scenario. I'm serious about that, because at least... And I think a lot of scientists are secretly moving in that direction, that the aliens landed and, and seeded the human race, because that's more, that's, that is, that is more logical possibilities than evolution. Evolution is a truly a fairy tale. But you see, when you have a weak Christianity, weak churches, when you have weak pastors, and that's what we've been have, had for the last hundred years, we have a weak Christianity and weak pastors, and weak denominations, and weak churches. Why are they weak? Because of what Dr. Francis Schaeffer said and warned about 35 years ago. The churches are weak, the pastors are weak, Christians are weak, the church is weak. I know it sounds negative, I don't like to say it, but it's true. They're weak because they have rejected the Word of God. They're weak because they don't believe the Word of God. They're weak because they don't study the Word of God. They're weak because they don't bother to 
study the Word of God and really get in there and do their homework and compare the Bible with evolutionary theory or read science and compare it with the Bible. The things that I do, and I'm not the I'm not obviously not the only one doing this. There are others, but there's not a whole lot of us because there there is an overwhelming intellectual, logical, and yes, scientific defense for the proof of the Bible and the proof of the biblical God and creationism. It was overwhelming intellectual, scientific, logical, rational defense. Overwhelming. But you see, when you don't have anybody to, to defend it, because you have weak seminaries, weak Bible schools, weak pastors, weak churches, weak denominations. It, no, I, this is not personal. I'm not attacking people. You notice I'm not naming names. They're weak because they've chosen to be weak. Look, the Bible teaches us something. We all know the primary lesson of the Bible. Whenever you reject God's word, you're under a curse. Whenever you believe and faith in God's word, you're under a blessing. You're saved because you believe and put your faith in the saving message of Jesus Christ. You're born again. But if you choose not to believe in God's free will offer of salvation in Jesus Christ, you're under a curse. Every story of the Bible is a story of faith versus unbelief, faith versus doubt. Belief versus unbelief. That's every story of the Bible comes down to that. When you have the church and the pastors and the seminaries and individual Christians where they no longer believe the Bible, no, they don't believe parts of the Bible. Many of them secretly believe that God used the evolutionary process, and and which is a completely schizophrenic psychotic biblical interpretation, by the way, that is completely irrational, makes no sense whatsoever. Makes no sense whatsoever. And I, I say this to you with tears in my eyes and a broken heart. One of the greatest men of God I know are a number of them that, that I know, that, that I respect. And that's why I say it with tears in my eyes and a broken heart. I've read articles they've written where they suggest, and I'm horrified, they suggest that Evolution is true, and they use a, a phrase that Catholic theologians like to use. They call it theistic evolution. And so these Christian leaders that, that I respect, or I still respect them, but not in these areas, they, they, they fall for this nonsense where they think that evolution is true and that simply that God, God guided the evolutionary process. So what does that tell you? They don't take the story of Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden literally. That's a huge mistake of unbelief. That's not rightly dividing the Word of God. And then on top of it, they take a theory which doesn't even work to begin with. They take a theory that has never been proven. They take a theory that's actually impossible for it to have happened the way the evolutionists say that it happened. And then they put God's uh, signature on it and say, Oh, evolution is true. It's just that we're 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 gonna we're gonna modify it a little bit and say God guided it. God used the evolutionary process, which means somehow supernaturally, you know, went from matter to, to a molecule, from a molecule to bacteria, from bacteria to sludge, from sludge to I don't know, you know, one little life form to another. Next thing you got a bunch of chimpanzees and gorillas and stuff, and then you have man. God supernaturally guided all that. How could God supernaturally guide all that when all of that never happened to begin with? 
It didn't happen to begin with. It's a scientific impossibility. There's not one shred of scientific evidence that shows one species evolving into another species or a non-life form evolving into a life form. No evidence. And so when I say weak Christianity, weak pastors, weak churches, weak seminaries, it's weak because even great men of God, but your greatness kind of diminishes when you surrender the truth of God's word, see? When you no longer believe God's word is true, when you no longer have confidence in God's word, when you no longer really do your intellectual homework, you no longer really rightly divide the word of God, you're, you're not believing the word of God. You're rejecting the word of God. You're doing exactly what Dr. Francis Schaeffer screamed and thundered about from the pulpit. And he was a brilliant intellectual. And by the way, he didn't scream, but he was a brilliant intellectual. But he warned the evangelical culture. He thundered. Accommodation, accommodation. This is the great sin of the evangelical culture. Accommodation. That means surrendering biblical truths to the relativistic truths of secular humanism. In order to be accepted by the humanistic society, we're going to give up our biblical truths and standards. Give up evolution. Excuse me. We'll give up uh, Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden, and we'll say God guided evolution. See, that's a com- that's an example of accommodation. You're surrendering truth. And when you do that, you make every church, every man, every woman of God, every pastor, you make them weak. Unbelief, surrendering God's word is like kryptonite to Superman. You become weak. And God did not create his people to be weak on the defensive, apologetic, befuddled, and victims. That is the reason of sin and disobedience. And what is the primary sin? The rejection of God's word and unbelief in God's word always brings a curse and a sin. So so this weakness is not the will of God. It's the result of sin and disobedience. That's the root of it. You believe the word of God, not because you're some kind of superstitious idiot, like like somebody who has a rabbit's foot. Or when I was a kid, really young, there was places across the country this is probably before many of your time. It's a long way back. I was a really little kid. And people would have these big plasticizes on the dashboards of their car. It was kind of like a, a good luck thing, except it was a big statue of Jesus that, they, that was mounted to the dashboard of their car. And it was there, they said it was for faith, but it was kind of using a statue of Jesus like a rabbit's foot. Well, come on, man. Having a statue of Jesus Christ on the dashboard of your car is not going to supernaturally protect you from a car accident. It would be better that you pray to the real God, not a statue, and ask the real God to protect you. See, when you you reject the word, you become weak and foolish. So, I'm coming back in a moment, and I'm going to tell you where this is going to go. And, 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 And it's the reason I know where it's going to go. And I believe you will share 100%. You'll share 100% my conclusion. Because it's obvious. It's obvious that this is where it's going to go. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. Spread this program far and wide. Spread our Roku channel far and wide. Sign up. Encourage people to sign up for the uh, YouTube channel, the, the public Facebook page, the Twitter social media the uh, 
E uh, blast at our website, paulmcguire.us. Get yourself a copy of the book, The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World, by going to paulmcguire.us. You can pre order it now. And help us through prayer, through spreading our message, through prayer and asking God how you can help finance the truth that we're spreading. You know, what I'm doing on this program is a form of spiritual warfare. Every day when I get in front of the mic and I talk and do these discussions and stuff, and people listen, people's lives are changed because I'm, I'm arguing for the faith. I'm defending the faith. I'm functioning as an evangelist, a Bible teacher, an apologist, and I'm defending the faith, and I'm strengthening the body of Christ. And you say, well, how are you strengthening the body of Christ? I'm, I'm, I'm not acting like a babysitter. I'm acting like a football coach. That's how I'm defending the, Bible, uh, the body of Christ. We don't need any more babysitters for the body of Christ. Sorry to break it to you. God's people are not supposed to be walking around in diapers spiritually, and I mean it only in a spiritual sense, okay? So, God didn't call men and women to be babysitters for the body of Christ. If you want to build up and edify the body of Christ, you must demand and command discipline, tenacity, commitment, self-education, boldness, the total rejection of fear, the total trusting of God's Word, and you must defend the Word of God intellectually and theologically. That's spiritual warfare, which I do every day of the week with television and everything. I'm doing constantly. I'm doing it 24-7. You say 24-7. How can you do 24-7? Because it's going on in my dreams. It's, it's a spiritual battle. It's what I'm called to do. But I'm not called to be a babysitter. Because you see, when, you, when God calls you to edify and build up the body of Christ, how do you build somebody up? Well, you encourage them. I give out plenty of encouragement. I don't condemn. But I do rebuke forcibly for uh, not rightly dividing the Word of God and other things. But I function like a coach, because the goal is to grow God's people up so they can win, to be overcomers, to occupy the land, to win souls for Christ, to be strong in the faith. So, so what happens? So your marriage doesn't fall out, so you don't end up addicted to drugs and all the other crazy stuff that happens to people. And if that's happened to you, God can forgive you or has forgiven you. And there's hope for you. But God didn't call me to be a babysitter. We got a lot of babysitter pastors. Great. I hope you have a good time there and suck on your pacifier and you get a little cookie at the end of the sermon. Great. But this is, I, didn't, I didn't get saved miraculously by God fleeing from a denominational Christian religious retreat in the back roads of Missouri. I left the place. I had hair down to my posterior. <clears throat> I was a radical, a hippie. I went there to find God. When I got there, I, I saw a country club religion, guys and girls making out, playing spin the bottle. I tried to ask him about Jesus. They didn't even want to talk about Jesus. They laughed at me, literally laughed at me. So uh, it was a sleepover, and I, I said the next morning, I'm going to hitchhike back to the campus of the University of Missouri because I had to get out of there. Okay, I had to get out of there. I had to flee the denominational Christian religious retreat because it had become so defiled and polluted and irrelevant. You think that was an accident that I got saved fleeing, running from a denominational Christian religious retreat 
was which was sponsored for the intention of building people up and winning people for Christ. They thought this did this uh, Christian religious retreat, this denominational Christian religious retreat. Yeah, of, of so-called Bible-believing Christians. The purpose was to evangelize and build people up in the faith. Okay, there I am, an atheist, a radical, a New Ager. I'm there looking for Jesus. Nobody talks to me about Jesus. I have to bring up the conversation. Okay, so what? I'll bring up the conversation. So I started talking about Jesus, asking questions. I got, I got, I got the cold shoulder, and I didn't even get one question answered. They looked at me like I, I just arrived in a flying saucer. So why do you think I fleed a Christian retreat? Because there was no truth there. That's the reason eight out of ten kids from evangelical homes are fleeing Christianity. So while I was fleeing from a Christian religious retreat in the middle of nowhere, like a field of dreams experience, the guy who was a sincere Christian, but he wasn't running the thing, told me that God would take care of my rides home. So stick out my thumb. My first ride is from a Pentecostal preacher and his wife. They share the gospel of Christ with me. I get out in the middle of nowhere. My second ride is from a Bible salesman driving a station wagon filled with King James Bibles. Long story really short. And then he leads me in a salvation prayer to Jesus Christ, and I get born again on the back roads of Missouri, fleeing from a Christian denominational religious retreat. Now, as I look back, I say to myself, that wasn't an accident. Yeah, God wanted me saved, but God could have had me saved in in many, many ways. God was trying to make a statement loud and clear with a neon sign, because I've shared this testimony to millions of people all over the world. And the story says Paul McGuire got miraculously saved fleeing from a denominational Christian religious retreat. Why? Because there was no truth there. See, God, is, God had a message. God is so supernaturally intelligent that he embedded a message in my salvation story that I didn't decode until, well, it, it, the decoding process took time. But you see, God was so, <laughs> God has a sense of humor. He's so intelligent. He embedded in my my authentic testimony story of how I got miraculously saved, God embedded his own message. And the message was, hello, Paul McGuire got saved fleeing from a Christian religious retreat. See, there's something intrinsically wrong with the story. I was supposed to be saved going to a church, denomination, Christian religious retreat, right? No, it was so horrendous, so absent of truth, I had, I had to leave it to find Jesus. You don't make this stuff up. That's my testimony. That's why I, I, my, my perspective is like that of a coach. You got to do push-ups. You got to win. You got to be disciplined. Are you going to lose the game? You're going to lose the battle. You're going to lose the spiritual battle. And we're in the greatest spiritual battle right now, in this second, in the history of the world, right here in America and the rest of the world. I'll be back in a second, and I want to share with you where this is all going to go if there is a disclosure event. I'm Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. All right, so since 1917, the elite have been thinking about how a potential alien UFO invasion would unite all the nations into a one-world government, which is their master plan. When the actor Orson Welles did that famous radio drama decades and decades and decades ago, and he got up there and did a radio play. And he even said it before the play began. He said, this is a, a, a play. It's, it's, it's fiction. It's science fiction. 
So he pretended to be a news moderator announcing an alien invasion happening in the United States of America. The title of the show was Invaders from Mars. And so the entire United States is in total panic. People are freaking out, totally freaking out. Because as they hear him moderate this show on every radio station, people think that indeed there's an actual alien invasion with these strange UFOs and alien technology coming down, and that Americans are being captured by the aliens and that we're trying to fight with our military. We're we're trying to fight off an alien invasion. People are completely freaked out and hysterical. What a lot of people don't know is this many, many decades ago, but what a lot of people don't know is this was not just some entertainment program that uh, Orson Welles, the actor, dreamed up. This production called Invaders from Mars, which was based on H.G. Wells' science fiction novel, this radio production was not just an entertainment production. It wasn't just a publicity stunt. The entire Invaders from Mars scenario over radio was an actual production from um, Princeton University. But the specific department that produced this program and what this project was called was the Princeton University Radio Propaganda Project. Let me repeat that again to you. The actual production company that produced this Orson Welles program was the Princeton University Radio Propaganda Project. It was an experiment from a major Ivy League university It was an actual national experiment in the effects of radio propaganda on the U.S. population. That's why it was psychologists, uh, sociologists, propagandists, and others wrote it and created it and had it aired. It was a radio propaganda project put on by Princeton University. The head of that project later on went on to become the head of CBS. It was financed by Rockefeller. So a lot of people don't know the entire alien invasion thing just wasn't a a fluke of entertainment. It was a propaganda experiment. Now, we've had all kinds of movies with Steven Spielberg, you know, E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and all these movies of aliens and UFOs, et cetera, et cetera. So the American public has been incrementally kind of indoctrinated in the whole UFO alien thing. And the overwhelming majority of the American public believes in aliens and UFOs. All right, so let's say there is an announcement made by the government, either incrementally, so people don't freak out, gradually, it starts old, or suddenly and dramatically. And let's say the government or a world government comes forth, comes forth and says, Okay, what we're here to uh, announce to you is that um, we have had in our possession for quite a while, you know, actual UFOs with advanced technology, or let's say they claim that they're in communication with um, actual aliens from another planet, or that aliens have landed through their UFO technology and they're in regular communication with governments on planet Earth. 
It could be any number of scenarios, but the basic scenario is there's an official disclosure announcement where the highest level governmental authorities say that, yes, aliens are real, we're in contact with them, or they've been here, or they're here now, or they're returning, or whatever scenario it is. And now you have this coming from the highest echelons of society, the military, the Department of Defense, universities, governments, or whatever. So it's a very, very high-level, authoritative, documented announcement. Now, one would think this would be done incrementally, but if it was done suddenly or incrementally or a combination of the two, you would have the greatest shock to people's minds um, ever. People would be so shocked they would freak out either quietly or overtly. You would have a major crisis of faith among all religions, among atheists, but the biggest crisis of faith would be among those people who claim to be Christians and those people of the Jewish faith. They would have the biggest crisis of faith. So you would have such a psychologically violent upheaval in the human mind that it would create chaos, hysteria. You would have millions and millions of people losing their faith in Christ. Millions and millions. Because this would be the idea that aliens are here and we're in communication with them and here's proof with the technology would be so earth-shattering to people who have not properly been equipped with the theological, intellectual, and scientific answers, that they would lose their faith. Oh, yeah, they would. Because they would, they would come up with the conclusion, well, there can't be a God since they're aliens, even though it's not a rational conclusion. That's the conclusion that most people would, would draw, or that, you know, where's God in all this? And then they stop believing in God. Well, where's, and then the aliens would claim, in this closure, to have advanced technology to help us, to end all war, etc., etc. So the aliens would become vicariously kind of like saviors. So then who needs the real savior, Jesus Christ? There's multiple ways this could play out. But the mere announcement of the existence or our communication with extraterrestrial races or aliens, UFOs, etc., or some kind of secret UFO alien colony on Earth, partnering with governments or, or an announcement that they have been partnering with governments or an announcement that the aliens are leading us or forcing us or demanding of us to create a world government under their direction and rulership. This would be so mind-blowing that most Christians couldn't handle it. They would lose their faith and, and people would be in a panic depending upon how it was announced. But many people would lose their faith. It would be the biggest crisis of their faith in their lives, because they wouldn't, they would have no idea, because nobody has taught them how to navigate this with, with the claims of the Bible. So you're having about a seismic earthquake that is going to affect the entire earth, but it's a seismic earthquake in belief systems. This, in the introduction or claim that aliens are here or have been here or something of that nature would shake the consciousness of billions of people. It would radically, I could see the Vatican easily welcoming, they already have welcomed the aliens, for crying out loud, not will, I could see, 
No, they've already done it. They've already welcomed the... The Vatican has already welcomed the aliens. They've made numerous announcements inclusive of aliens, like, like they're preparing. And you would have churches all across America, pastors all across America, Christians all across America, who are not prepared for this kind of announcement. They don't have a level of faith. They don't have a level of Bible understanding. They don't have a level of scriptural knowledge to be able to deal with any of this. And they'd freak out. You probably have skying uh, atheism, mass desertion from Christianity, and probably people would start, literally, I'm not, I'm not just trying to hear, they would probably start worshiping in one way, either directly or indirectly. You probably have masses of people worshiping the aliens as kind of a savior. In fact, that's probably where it would go the most. The aliens would be worshipped, assuming that they're not. The announcement isn't that we're being attacked or something. Okay, so all of that is a very plausible, rational, logical projection of what would happen if such an announcement is made. And many, many people have thought a great deal about this. They call it disclosure, the disclosure project. And there's been many public discussions and conferences about this type of thing for a long time. So my question to you is, this could be the greatest opportunity to evangelize the lost ever in human history. If Christians were prepared, spiritually equipped, and biblically equipped, it could bring about the greatest harvest of souls. Or conversely, if Christians, I'm not talking about all Christians, there's the exception, the remnant church, but if Christians the spiritual lethargy and, and lack of biblical knowledge that they basically have, the majority of them, it would create the greatest crisis in the Christian faith ever. So, this is why there are a number of people that are doing very excellent things in this area that are Christian. Some of them you know and I know, and I thank God for them. They've been doing it for quite a while, and I thank God for what they've been doing. But comparatively speaking, those Christians who deal with these kinds of are in a minority, especially those kinds of Christians who deal with these subjects that are, are, that are intelligent, literate, and logical, rational, and biblical. They're really in the minority. So when I tell you that we're in the greatest battle for the hearts and minds of mankind in the history of the world, which is the title of my new book, I'm serious. At every level, we're in the greatest battle. Now, if this, this is one of about a hundred major battles that are going on, if this disclosure type event goes forward, they've been planning a, a very long it will create chaos. And so the answer to, to, to that and all the other problems is to be prepared on every level, but especially prepared biblically, prepared spiritually, prepared intellectually, prepared practically. And that is the calling of this ministry, Paul McGuire Ministries and Paradise Mountain Church, is to communicate via every medium possible, radio, video, TV, films, books, Paradise Mountain Churches, uh, Bible prophecy conferences, to communicate to as many people as possible, as fast as possible. Because 
the church, the evangelical church, the majority of it, the overwhelming majority of it is, I don't mean this to be unkind, is essentially defaulted on its obligations. I mean, completely. You just listen to the content of the sermons. There's nothing there. I mean, the percentage of truth is minuscule. There's just nothing there. There's no content that could come with life. Anything that is of, of a remote challenge, there's nothing there except smile and be happy. And sorry, that just doesn't cut it. It's only the truth of God's Word and being able to apply the truth of God's Word that will be able to help people. That is our mission. That's why I write the books I write, like the Babylon Code with Troy Anderson. There's a reason for that. That book answers an enormous amount of questions about America and the world that the church is pretending doesn't exist, but is so well documented with the truth that anybody who's thinking, anybody who reads, anybody who has a brain that they actually use knows that what we talk about in the Babylon Code is very real and has to be addressed by thinking biblical Christians. And that's what this ministry is about. That's why you listen. You're a thinking biblical Christian. That's why you're listening to this program. And in, the great, in my new book, The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World, we deal with this and other issues, but we've got to get the message out to as many people as possible. And what concerned me is this, this just burst of information about aliens and UFOs and announcements by our government. Now, it could be part of a steady incremental approach, or it could be a signal of an acceleration. And if there is an acceleration and then suddenly this becomes a full-blown topic, you're going to have a huge crisis. So there are people, a small number of people, that deal with this type of topic, and I thank God for them. But we are, in terms of, we're a numerical minority. We're influential, but we're a numerical minority. And so we have to prepare young people. We have to prepare Christians. We have to prepare non-believers. It's such an opportunity to win souls to Christ. Because you see, by speaking the truth and biblically backing it up, people will be starving for answers. And they're not going to get it through MSNBC and that whole lineup of fake news. They're going to get nothing. So this could be one of the greatest opportunities. I urge you to get a copy of my book. The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World. I only touched on part of what's in the book regarding this subject matter. And if you pre-order it now, you will get your copy before it's released to the general public. You'll get a discount on the price, and you'll get an autographed copy. And most of all, hopefully, you'll get some copies for friends and spread the book. Because this is going to be part of the greatest battle for the hearts and minds of mankind. And then... I need those of you that are prayer warriors. I thank God for you every day of the week. And I, we need your continual spiritual warfare and prayers for me, my family, and this ministry. We must have your constant prayers, serious intercessory prayers. And I thank God for all of you who are faithful to be prayer warriors. I thank God for all of you who are helping to spread this information far and wide. And I thank God for each and every one of you who who know that being able to be communicated to freely is still a privilege in this world. And I thank God for each and, one of, each and every one of you who pray to the Lord and ask the Lord, how can I help Paul McGuire Ministries and Paradise Mountain Church 
financially with my donations or contributions. And then you, you're serious about it. And you ask the Lord, what do you want me to give? And then you're obedient. And I thank God for all of you that make these broadcasts, make these media outreaches possible through your faithful contributions and donations. So visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. By the way, if you choose to donate, you can do it either electronically or you can do it by mail. The address is there at paulmcguire.us. And we need you to spread this message far and wide. Things are radically changing in our world on the political level. But this, assuming that most of you are, are seeing this huge upsurge in official governmental UFO uh, announcements, it, that's, it's, that hasn't happened before. It's always been, like, blacked out. And is this going to increase? Or is this like a test? I don't know. But, if, but at some point, I think it's highly probable that the elite intend to use <clears throat> this type of thing to organize a global government. We have to remember that the Bible has answers. What many people are saying, extra-dimensional beings, ETs, thinking that they come from outer space somewhere, it's not like you dismiss the whole thing. But the Bible talks about fallen angels, <clears throat> Nephilim, Rephim, and the Bible talks about fallen angel technology. So what a lot of people think are ETs or aliens are in reality fallen angels or Nephilim or Rephim. And let's remember, when we go back to look, uh, when we go back to Genesis, and when we go back to the various accounts in the Bible when fallen angels mated with human women, and we go back to Jude, which makes reference to the book of Enoch, it talks about the 200 fallen angels that descend on Mount Hermon to impregnate human women. But it says in, in Great detail. It talks about the technology, the science, the herbs, the mathematics that this, these fallen, fallen uh, angels give to mankind. So for the fallen angels give to mankind, highly advanced technology and science. And then we have the evidence of the super civilizations, etc. And that is a plausible, logical explanation that will cause people to trust the Bible, and believe the Bible, and look to the Bible for further answers. Let's not do what, what the church did with the theory of evolution. They hit the snooze button. They didn't pay attention. They didn't, they, they didn't have answers for the theory of evolution. But what happened is, well, we lost millions of people walked away from their faith in Christ because the Bible was not scientifically true, and that evolution was scientifically true. Well, if there's going to be a massive alien disclosure announcement, then you're going to have a lot of people think aliens are scientifically true. That's it. There is no God. Christianity's nonsense. That's the way it'll play out. And Christians will make the same mistake that they made when evolution destroyed its impact on many generations. Evolution essentially said the Bible is not true because science says it's true which was a complete lie. They will do this with the alien thing. They'll use it as a means to attack Christianity. But if Christians are educated and prepared biblically, which the overwhelming majority are not, 
But we can help change that by just proceeding by faith to educate people individually, going around the churches. Because if we wait for the churches, it'll be too late. And start teaching the deeper truths of the Bible, which, by the way, are the very things that people are interested in and are the very topics that cause people to be evangelized and saved. The Bible talks about the supernatural. The Bible talks about multidimensional realities. It talked about it thousands and thousands of years ago. Well, remember, science didn't believe in multidimensional realities until relatively recently. Science said the only thing that's real is what you can experience with your physical senses. Well, they were totally wrong. Quantum physics and string theory blew that out of the water. And they were forced to admit, well, they never did admit they were wrong, but they were wrong because their own science proved that there were at least 13 dimensions. Now, they're also a revolution. They're going to get embarrassed. But the way they're going to try to solve their embarrassment is because evolution is so obviously scientifically false, they're going to merge the aliens came to planet Earth and seeded the Earth, um, you know, millions of years ago. That's the way they're going to rescue their damaged reputation. They're going to incorporate an alien, an ancient astronaut alien theory as the explanation to man's origins. But you see, if Christians are equipped with the Word of God and have biblical answers and can address scientific issues, then we win the game. And then people will look to the Scripture and Christians for answers. But they're not going to look to a bunch of dummies for answers who are scared and freaking out and losing their faith. You know, the Bible talks about multiple dimensions. The Bible talks about um, certain sciences. The Bible talks about eternity and the afterlife. The Bible gives an explanation for evil. The Bible gives all kinds of explanations about the future of the world. And we have so many things happen. Why do you think witchcraft is the fastest growing religion in America right now? Why do you think that is? Witchcraft is the fastest growing religion in America because it is meeting a need that the Christian church should be uh, meeting, but it's not. People everywhere, especially young people, are starving for real, authentic, legitimate, supernatural power, supernatural answers. They don't want to be passive. They want to have power that they can apply and use to help them in the world. And witchcraft promises all that. See, witchcraft promises a supernatural religion that gives you supernatural power and supernatural answers. Supernatural answers to everything. Witchcraft is a, is a demonic counterfeit of what Christianity is supposed to be. If the Christian churches had not departed from all the supernatural things, I'm talking about supernatural with integrity, people would not be running to witchcraft. The Bible teaches all kinds of truths on how you can pray and God will supernaturally answer your prayers. The Bible teaches you about how to have power and wisdom, eternal life. It's a million times more dynamic than witchcraft is. So what's the problem? Why is witchcraft winning and Christianity losing? Here's the problem. Today you have preachers that don't preach a supernatural Bible anymore. They don't even believe the Bible. It's just a half-baked motivational thing. Well, guess what, folks? It's not selling. And the reason it's not selling is you're not preaching the real Bible. You're not ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you were, Christianity would not be uh, 
It's not even among the, the fastest religions. Then you have atheism is growing faster than Christianity. All this could be stopped if we communicated the word of God as it was written. And that's what God wants. And that's what I'm in, in for. A hundred percent, I'm committed to this. And I pray that you are too. God bless you. I'm Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.